0: Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. Judith and myself today are joined by Rachel Soundy, who's going to provide a different, let's say, I'm being very careful about my words, uh, a a different perspective, um, and yet obviously a, a a completely integral perspective um, in terms of the legality and, and legal risks of uh, um, some of the things that we 're doing in international higher education, uh, so i 'm going to hand over to Judith. I think i 've said nothing incriminating thus thus far, right um, uh, I was just thinking back to when Rachel who's a very kind contributor of a chapter to our, our book, was sent the um, publishing agreement and then ask me a question about it I, was like, I don't I don't know how to answer that I'm not remotely qualified I'm just going like, to digitally nod and uh, and send it back so um yes uh, but I think this is going to be this is going to be fascinating because uh we don't talk about this enough um and it's massively obviously important for all the stakeholders involved. So um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. I'll hand over to, to Judith to for the, as usual, the formal the formal um, welcome and, and uh, introduction. Yeah.
1: Thanks, thanks very much, uh, Chris. And thanks so much, Rachel, for joining us today. I had the pleasure of uh, sitting on a panel pretty much 12 months from today, actually, with yeah. uh, with Rachel. Uh the Pi Live that I was actually live, and we were there in person um, in, in London. And that was the first time that you know Rachel and I had an opportunity to chat about international higher education from our different perspectives. Uh, Rachel's um, higher education lawyer, uh, advising on corporate and commercial matters, and her expertise includes supporting clients uh, with corporate matters, such as mergers and disposals, uh, joint ventures, corporate structuring, etc., commercial contracts, governance and various sort of regulatory matters. Rachel's now spent over a decade working exclusively in higher education legal services, during which time she's worked on various um, TNE collaboration pretty much across the whole world actually, um, from both mainstream universities to also private um, providers. Rachel herself is uh, ranked in um, the legal uh, 500 as a next generation partner for education. And as if doing her day job wasn't enough, unlike most of us who spend our spare time Watching rugby and reading books and doing other pretty much quite selfish things. Uh, Rachel is an independent governor of Arts University uh, Plymouth, so one of England's newest universities, as we know here, uh, where she's also a member of the university's audit and risk committee. So that's what you do to relax, Rachel. <laughs> I'm not sure what you do to say. So, so Rachel, I'm from and from Devon, Britain should have probably said that right at the right at the headline, really. Um, thank you so much, Rachel, for for joining us. As Chris has already mentioned, um, you've also been kind enough to contribute uh, a chapter in our in our book, looking specifically around international higher education collaboration and uh, through the lens of of legal risk. So, I wonder if I may, if I can, I can start off with kind of general question to you. Um, yeah. Broadly, broadly, what would you say are the legal risks in the context of higher education and transnational education?
2: Well, thank you both and for such a warm welcome. Um, if I so, if I look at, I think from based on my experience, I think there's there's three types, three main types or buckets of legal risk in HE, T&E collaborations. So there is. Um, internal legal risks which are the institution so if we think about the university being the awarding institution the university's own risks its own shaped by its own um, risk appetite the risk appetite of the senior leadership team now these are these are subjective they vary a bit but I think they are things around compliance reputation Branding, IP, and then, of course, higher education regulatory. So, those are sort of internal legal risks, and they're there whether you have a collaboration agreement or not, frankly. Mm. Um, then you have the, the relational legal risks. Now, these are the legal risks that are intrinsic to the relationship, the TNE relationship. So, the relationship in this perhaps example of the awarding institution and the local delivery provider or partner. So, they are. They are shaped by that relationship and they're often they're often papered or found in the collaboration agreement itself. So if you read that, that's where you'll you'll find them. And they are things like uh, dispute resolution, deadlock, um, winding down, exit, uh, risk mitigation, legal protection. So things like indemnities and they are also things like governance. So that's what that's the relational legal risks. And then. The third sort of bucket is external legal risk. So these are risks that are linked to the local operating environment um, and also the local education regulatory environment where the, where the T&E partnership is being delivered. So things like um, um, cyber security, sanctions, bribery, changes in particular to the local education regulatory environment. So. And that's really, the, they are often the most unknowable of all of these categories of risk. And obviously in that we'd put kind of black swan type events, COVID-19, those kind of things. So the, you know, the the um, moment, momental kind of risks that might come along. Um, and if I look at the, if we think about the life cycle of putting together a kind of HET&E collaboration, these risks exist throughout the life cycle, the beginning um, you know, through the middle and, and at the end, they're not they don't go away, but they are they do vary to to different degrees throughout that throughout that collaborative relationship.
1: So in terms, just um just in terms, let's say of of
2: appetite,
1: risk appetite. I mean, you mentioned it when you mentioned internal risk, be it looking at yes branding or IP or compliance. Do, thinking about all three buckets i've never thought of these as buckets before so i'm absolutely (laughs) going to be stealing that from now on i think with these three buckets um do you think there's a a different level of risk appetite depending on whether it's internal relational or external and indeed actually for let's say external are there um uh, are there con- so many constraints around some things that the the risk appetite is almost determined for you?
2: Yeah, I I think that's an interesting question, and I think that if I think particularly about the external um, risks, I think sometimes those are so great, and when universities do their due diligence on the local operating environment, it it it. <laughs> it's almost too difficult to operate there. So, they do, so they, you're right, they become the answer of why you can't do it, never mind mm. Mm. what relational legal risks might look like, what internal legal risks might look like. If you actually can't, if you have to have a structure that just won't work with a university because you have to have lots of local directors or you have to have this and you, ha- yeah. you can't do online, for example, or you can't do this, then actually you're right, the answer is the answer is in your due diligence. I suppose... What I see, because I have seen the positive and the negative side of these, is sometimes that if, the, if there isn't enough of that exploration at the beginning of the relationship in terms of or looking at the environment and understanding not just who the delivery provider is, but actually what the local operating environment looks like, politically what might happen, what might change, taking the temperature, speaking to other operators there, whether they schools, colleges or whatever, to what they think has been their experience, then actually I have seen unfortunately um uh, market entries and then market exits when actually the everybody then realised that you actually couldn't really operate in the way you wanted to. So I think yeah. it that does shape it, yes, very much so. Um,
1: would you would you see some of these um things as having to be captured for example, in an exit strategy of some form, you I mean you've almost got to work out, haven't you, at the beginning of any relationship how you might end it. And, you, and it's, I suppose it's you're like quite, the, you're quite right. The yes. of a prenup, isn't it? But while you're all happy and in love and everything's all jolly, work out what you would might do if you're not talking to each other anymore.
2: Yes, you you're right, and I often. Do go into those collaborative relationships and say, "Okay, it's all shiny and nice and new and exciting." But how do we want to exit? And often, nobody wants to. Nobody really wants to think about that. But that is the art. That is what you need to think about. If this happens, if there's a teach-out, who does what? What are you going to do? If there's a build, who takes responsibility for that? How, how, you know, reputationally, what will you do with these things? Is there someone else who can come in and deliver? parts of it all of it in your place have you got someone else who can come and validate these arrangements if it's that kind of arrangement so there's uh, yes you become a bit of a doom monger as a lawyer coming in (laughs) and saying okay this is great but what happens when when the when the dial shifts but as I said I've seen you know I have seen exits partial exits I've worked on partial exits and then full collapses and um I wasn't involved at the beginning, so I can't say whether people did think about those things well, but Mm. that's when everything is absolutely strength tested. So, yes, I do like to try and say, okay, let's reverse the agreement. What are we doing if this happens? How long, how much notice are we giving? What are we doing with students? All those kind of things. Um, And we, you know, we get there, we get there because it is important. And I, you know, the people i work with they understand that it 's not a conversation anyone wants to have, but they understand that it you know you need to be able to do that um well yeah because sometimes through no fault of anybody's
1: something might have to come to an end, mightn't it, or it might yeah. come to a natural end, and it 's okay how can how can we do this in a way that obviously primarily first and foremost protects and ensures the students, you know, have what they need. Um, but also in many ways I guess also protects that relationship that you have been developing. And it doesn't have to be something that ends and then everything's fractured. It 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 can end but as I say take a take a natural course of a life in some ways.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's that's right. And and sometimes Sometimes the legal agreements, and I'm arguing against myself here now, but um, sometimes the legal agreements are are written in a style that's really adversarial. And it's a bit like, you know, they are that risk is this hot potato that no one wants to have. So everyone throws it at each other. And Mm. um, it's not about kind of risk sharing it's about risk allocation you know this is your fault you deal with it rather than saying something's gone wrong let's have some time to work together and then we'll think about whether we exit and i actually think that the better agreements legal agreements are often the ones that do facilitate that level of engagement and discussion and and in some ways people say they're a bit fluffy you know they're they're not they're not absolutely directional about right this has happened you've got six months and then we're exiting they might say well we've got three months talking together and we will work out what to do and you're right it's about protecting the relationship and recognizing that actually five or seven or ten years of relationship may have been built so is it is it right that it's just kind of destroyed by one Mm. thing it it may be that it needs to change so sometimes having an agreement that facilitates discussion and change is the better is the better path for that relationship
1: yeah yeah i'm i mean I'm, i'm glad you said that you were arguing against yourself rachel because i certainly didn't want to argue against you um also having said that you fit in this is why you fit in so well to our podcast because chris and i are frequently <laughs> arguing against ourselves to be fair um another another point and I'm, I'm sure chris would like to to jump in at a certain point as well because i don't want to i don't want to hog the the show but um another point that always well i suppose actually two two things i'm quite interested yeah. in learning about one is around jurisdiction because that always mentioned whenever i'm trying to get Anything through anywhere. Um, and another is around likelihood. Because what I've always felt is that, certainly with legal teams, be they internal ones or external ones, colleagues, you know, absolutely what you need is to be really clear across your three buckets where those risks are. But I, I, from my point of view as well, I think probably the crucial point is what is the likelihood of anything happening within that space. And actually probably that does link into the jurisdiction part. But I'd be really interested though, just in your thoughts on those two areas, you know, jurisdiction and and likelihood in
2: particular. Yeah. So if we start with the jurisdiction, say so the, the perennial debate we have, and I'm sure you'll see this in any H E T and E collaboration is is we want it to be English or governed and English or courts. Yeah. And that's always a starting position. And it is if we think about all those buckets of risk, that is the, that is a mitigating factor for so many risks. If you can if we can say, oh well, internally it's English or governed, it's English or courts. Now, as as H E T and E moves into more emerging markets, that is that is less of a certainty. Those emerging markets you You may well, in fact, my view is you will not often have an english law governed agreement. it won't be acceptable for a number of perhaps funding education regulatory cultural reasons, so you won't have that you might have the local law governed agreement um and the, and you might in the in the kind of worst scenario, have a local law court option, so the better position. Is if you're having, you know, is to be able to enforce it, it, you know, have an international jurisdiction clause, so you can actually go to um, international arbitration rather than having something stuck in a dispute stuck in the courts of a, a local jurisdiction, mm-hmm. which could which which could take years and years to sort out. So thinking about okay, if we have to have local law, can we can we can we have some other um, international arbitration that kind of thing uh, clause there. Um, but I think it's as TNE moves into those markets, as I said, it becomes more and more challenging from that jurisdiction perspective. Um, and those debates—I mean, uh, you endlessly have those debates, but often you you have to find a solution because that is what the delivery provider wants and may may have to have. So if you want to, that comes down to you know your internal risk and the relational risk ultimately. Mm. Um, so. On
1: that note then, mm. Rachel, with them, as you say, you, you've dealt with quite a few of these in, over the over years. You know, Have there been examples where, in terms of those contracts, that, that it hasn't been, you know, English jurisdiction?
2: Yes, yes. There is yeah. one particular example where, I'm glad to say it wasn't at the beginning of it, but I was at the end of it and it got, it had a local law-governed um local law clause and a local law court and it 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 took seven years to resolve that dispute it was the wind down and it was seven years of to resolve that dispute in the local law courts it just got really stuck it was really challenging it was really expensive and you know it ended with the exit it just ended really badly um so that's always my that you know that stayed in my head as being a really, really, really difficult, the worst case scenario. Um, but I think it, if you ask me about likelihood, so likelihood of things going wrong. Um, I mean, I I can count that on the fingers of one hand the collaborations that I've worked on that have you know gone wrong. Um, there, there are hardly any, um, and I would say that they have gone wrong for. Perhaps they're in the wrong location, they can't get the students, they can't, the finances don't work. It's the it, to, In my experience, it's the operational things, not actually the relational things, um, it's, and it's not always the operating, the external operating environment. I think we have seen the external operating environment impact quite recently, impact TNA schools, um, but not universities so much, but um, in a number of jurisdictions, but it's that... It's the kind of footfall, um, being in the wrong place, those kind of operational things um, that, I, that in my experience, have um, been, you know, brought, brought on the, the collapse or the change of those arrangements.
1: That's really interesting. So, in a sense, the moral of that particular story is get your business plan right, get your financial business <laughs> plan right, make sure you can yeah. get the students, you know, because, as you say, probably the other aspects have been discussed and tested out such a lot as, you, as you've been bringing the various contracts together yeah. i would imagine that as you say you even the mere process of going through that which usually takes quite a long period of time it you know, does would, yeah i suppose test aspects of those relationships anyway wouldn't it yeah yeah was, um
0: chris sorry i was I, I was just wondering um sort of connecting the 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 answers to the last two questions that you that you gave is then the the reason that there's maybe less focus on or or focus probably the wrong word, but less um don't know something emphasis on on these sort of legal because it's the operational that tends to fail and so the legal tends to not not assume that it's going to work but as you said if if the t and e tends to go where t and e is right so you know new providers set up in a and e yeah. market which gives a sense of security that there is a framework in place, that there's a confidence in, you know, in operational type stuff. And I was just, because you're talking about, you know, the sort of the foreign campus and partnership, I was just reminded of um, an experience I had um, had, it, had it in both Malaysia and also in Vietnam, where I saw a motorbike carrying maybe four or five family members. And in one case, a fridge yeah. attached to the back. And I asked a colleague, and I was like, well, you know, from my perspective, that's just so dangerous, and, you know, how can you, how can you allow this? And, and my colleague, you know, said, but they've never crashed, so it's clearly not dangerous. Yeah. Right? You, you, <laughs> my perception of risk is this hypothetical thing that could happen, and my colleague's perception of risk was that has never gone wrong. Therefore, it's not risk. That like, Literally, there's nothing you know what's what's your concern um i don't know. i don't know just cultural upbringing i guess um so i'm I was just wondering is is the i was thinking back to Judith's question you know before about the internal how response to your your internal and external um perspective whether yeah. or not universities just approach these things with a little bit of a blinder approach where it's like well you know we know how to do this and this bit works and that bit never doesn't go wrong and so is is there a a, a space in between that you know universities are not ignoring but you know just becomes business as, as usual um, and I'm particularly interested in this you know this issue of the the other legal system um because I worked for a British yeah. university in Malaysia, and Malaysia has two legal systems running um, concurrently, the Sharia law and then the, the Roman law. And so depending on if you're Muslim or non-Muslim, it, it's where you, you fall. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, just, I was just curious how, you know, if this is a, a leadership issue within universities, it's just something that's become, you know, de facto the way universities operate. Um, you know, is this something that you get increasingly frustrated because, as, as Judith said, all you've got to do is just get the business plan right. Like, it's not, I mean... It's, to say it's not difficult is completely wrong it's very difficult to get this right but you know yeah. you, you know what i'm saying
2: i do yeah and i think there's there's a couple of things there um so i think that so what i see and and so i grew up abroad i grew up in i grew up in the in the far east and um, uh and for you know most of my childhood so um and And the, the approach a bit like your precisely like your fridge example, the approach to risk is, in my view different. so risk is risk is um, in my experience, kind of it's other in, but it's all, but it's actually something that is is to be shared between parties. It's about trust. It's about when risk happens, how do we mm-hmm. together deal with it? And I feel as if this is only my opinion, that in the West. It's a bit more of that kind of hot potato,
0: yeah, you yeah. take
2: the risk we don't want it i'm going to throw it at you and 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 I just don't want to hold it, so risk becomes this kind of thing that nobody wants to deal with, and everyone's throwing it at each other in this legal agreement, and so I think this is where the disconnect happens because a potential disconnect because you're having a legal agreement that tries to allocate risk, this is the kind of you know standard. TNE, if there is one, the standard TNE collaboration agreement. This is your fault. Deal with it. And then you, you may well get given the local law governed agreement, which is much shorter, much fluffier. Doesn't really deal with in our, in my English law legalised risk. I'm like, where's the risk allocation in this? It isn't always there. Mm. There's just a kind of, oh, if this happens, we'll talk together. And huh. everybody looks at it and thinks, well, it's, this is only ten pages long. This is local law governed. We don't like this. This isn't this this doesn't feel like it's appropriate. And so there's this huge kind of debate about well, we want our legal agreement that allocates risk and the and the, the local delivery provider saying, No, this is we we are approaching this, is that risk is shared. We're trusting each other, we're entering into this relationship. So I think sometimes there's this whole disconnect that can last quite a long time between and it's the playing out of Attitudes to risk in the legal agreement. Um, so that's kind of how I see it um, work through. It's it's some it's sometimes just just that cultural thing about how do we see risk. Yeah, I think that's a really really
1: interesting point, um, Rachel. Because I've I've had that in in the past when having you know discussions about setting up partnerships and you know what if something goes wrong in a partnership and nearly always the discussion back in the uk is what happens if they do something wrong yes what happens if somebody else does something wrong because clearly we're not going to do anything at all that is wrong so rather than as you say and i'm really struck by that that you know that that phrase you know when risk happens how do we how do we deal with it because i think as well, your your point about the Far East, I really echo too, having having lived and worked there myself. You know, the the almost the notion that you, we are in a partnership now, and I've always found with partners there that absolutely, a hundred percent, the last thing they want is to compromise that. It is just yeah. not going to happen. So together, we need to work out how to risk, and I think. I don't know whether it's that, as you say, we've got a bit more of this hot potato mentality with it, but it's almost like, well, it wasn't us, so we didn't do anything, so off you go and you have to deal with it yourself now. And I, and I think it's fundamentally, maybe, as you say, even fundamentally about culturally, who people are, what matters to them, you know, and, and how important that underlying, I Personal might be the wrong word for it, but the relationship that you do have with that partner, yeah. And, I, and I'm and I'm not sure that we. But it's very difficult, as you say. Though, when you've got your risk register, and things are flashing in different colours, and yes. people are adding up numbers, and things are either in green or purple or whatever um you, you can't articulate it can you it is almost like yeah. it, you've got to say no it's all right we will sort it out together and it's like yeah but but does that mean we can affect the exit strategy in a in a structured way well yes we will because we'll have to because that's just the answer the answer is we have to do it together um yeah and whereas we i is, it, is there an element of trust in this as well because I I think very often, particularly in the, 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 the Far East there, there is that trust that that will happen because you committed to that relationship. Whereas, yes, maybe we're we're less inclined to have that level of trust.
2: I, I agree. And I and I've seen that trust, that kind of trust angle played out again in that debate about a legal agreement like well, we want our English law governed legal agreement. No, we want our local law agreement. Mm. And then, you know, sometimes, not often, but the relationship, the negotiation relationship breaks down to the point where the local provider and they often will, you know, this is often difficult to say because this is kind of, you know, um, the last point anybody wants to say is, do you not trust us? Do you not trust us that you need to have this, risk allocation based agreement do you not trust that we will do this so I do think mm. it's I do think it's really important that I do think it's a dynamic that gets it does get you know very played out in these negotiations I wonder Wonder
1: whether I can go just take us on a, a slightly different um, track but um, but it also is around risk appetite but Given the experience you've had, obviously over over quite a length of time now, including during and now just post post COVID, have yeah. you have you seen a slowing down of UK TNE developments over the last few years, or or
2: an increase? I think that's really interesting. That's a really interesting question, isn't it? And I think if I you know, if you, if you go to certain parts of the press, you'll see comments that it's growing and we're growing and then other parts of the kind of press will say, no, we're shrinking, we're under threat, all this kind of thing. In terms of what I see past my desk, on my desk, that my team has, that kind of thing, I don't think we're seeing a decrease. But I think it's a change and I think the changes that are happening are, are making the collaboration set up slower. So it's not a decrease... But it's a sl- it's they're slower to get to market for kind of putting it in crude terms than they then their sort of TNE collaboration of five ten years ago. That's what I'd say. Um, so n- no, um, is it an increase? I d- I I think it's a kind of still like a steady stream. I don't think it's one or the other. I think, but I think there is a bit of slowness that you could interpret as a decrease but that's because of the operating environment and it's not really you know not really a decrease at all that's that's a that's a really interesting
1: point i've not even i've not thought of it that way at all actually but i suppose if you even think and it'd be interesting to get chris's view on this given given where you've worked in the past but i can even think of it from my own experiences you know, been parts of of other overseas campuses, um, and I'm not saying this is the right thing. By the way, so she defensively, really, answer awesome, most lawyer in the <laughs> room. Um, but I get, I get, I get the feeling. You know, and a few, quite a few years ago, when things were set up overseas, it was almost like you got a directive, usually from your vice chancellor, saying just go away and do it. Really, um, and so you try to do that in as measured a way as you could very often as swiftly as you could as well, particularly if you if you if you I suppose thought that the business case did stack up, if you got the financials there that you'd all been through and thought, well look, the market's there, the students there, we've got a partner there and we want to deliver something so shall we just go away and do it? And I just get the feeling, you say, that that probably ten or fifteen years ago that happened much more swiftly than it might or indeed might not ever now and as I say I'm not saying that's a good thing but it probably meant that a lot of the institutions that we've got with let's say big T any operations overseas and campuses etc might not necessarily have them now if they had to go through the similar sort of processes that we've, we seem to have to go through now even if you're just doing a joint program together I don't know what your thoughts are on that Chris
0: so I yeah no I, I'm I, I agree with this I mean Obviously, speaking very generally as we are, but um, I was thinking actually when you know before you moved into this question, you know Rachel's answer to the last point. I think in and and therefore this topic in many ways I think reflects the politics of TNE um, from a couple of, of sort of generations ago or sort of the early stages, which was very much a dependence-driven model. I mean, the countries that were receiving TNE needed the TNE and to, to build capacity or to offer degrees or provide access. And, and that dependency led to, um, <laughs> I don't know what the proper way of saying this is, let's say interesting behavior, um, because there is a, there is a, a dependency. And, and so perhaps the, you know, whether it's a, you know, oh, they're lucky to have us or it's a post-colonial or it's a, whatever the, you know, the underlying theoretical understanding of this is, I think TNE has very much changed in the last 10, 20 years. And so, you know, receiving nations are also now exporting nations and and their internal capacity, their ability, their expertise is so much higher than it was. And and therefore, their ability to, and I suppose um, expectation, you know, as Rachel was saying, to be able to share that risk and to be able to enter into what is a much more equivalency partnership. You know, it's a case of, yeah, yes, we need you, but you need us. So we shouldn't be doing just what you tell us to because, you know, you've waved a hand and said, well, we've got the legal system making the assumption that because our degree is valid and you want the degree, you also want everything that comes with that. Um, and I think it's it, it might be a at least this was my reflection that, you know. This this conversation about the legality is a, in my limited experience, a reflection of the political development of TNE and therefore the state that it's in, is also needs to be evolved because it's you know that hasn't caught up with with maybe the the new balance excuse me the new power balance dynamic. Um, but yeah, there, there used to be jokes about you know, TNE twenty years ago was the wild wild west and the people that were out there out there wherever there is doing things are. People that wouldn't necessarily have been working on their own home campus, and you know the things that were were being mm. done were not were not deliberately illegal, um, you know, but were expedient, I suppose. Is maybe the yes, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and um, no, I I agree with you, and um, as, as we say, it's not not necessarily that that was in any way a good thing, but I suppose it's just. It goes back to my maybe the, the question or my question around risk appetite, you know, and going back to what you said right at the beginning, um, Rachel, about particularly the in, the internal discussions yeah. that we'd have there, and and I and I'm thinking of the various places that that I worked in. So I say not a reflection; this is just a personal opinion, not a reflection of particular where I am now. Just list of, of all of the the places there. there are, usually been some things that have where there has been a red line you know where this is absolutely we aren't compromising on these aspects being compliance or quality or whatever you know there are other things where there would be more of an appetite because the likelihood of something happening and the likelihood of not being able to deal with what would would have been happening would have been less you know Mm. um and and maybe maybe um the those areas have just reduced slightly more than than and than other areas you know but I guess as well you know you've as I say you've got experience right of working with lots of different institutions and I'm sure that yeah. you've also got experience of institutions that have very very
2: different risk appetites I I do I I, I have and they definitely do and and also I think because I also work with the private providers, they also have different risk yes. appetites, and it's quite interesting. Um, kind of, um, you know, and you know, so, so, so depending on who you're dealing with, you know, sometimes their their, their purpose is, is is more focused, perhaps on TNE establishments than that kind of thing. So actually, they can be quicker. They're smaller. They can be quicker mm. at making decisions um, and quicker to market. Sometimes. Than the the kind of mainstream um, universities, so I, yes, it's interesting to see how different their processes are because they are a bit different, um, and and that and like you said, that sort of internal risk appetite as well.
1: I wonder whether we could just slightly go off on a, a, a slightly different um, tangent, but uh, clearly, um, particularly since COVID and the famous. Sorry, I'm going to use the word pivot online. Uh, some people have pivoted and that really pretty swiftly. Others haven't. Um, but obviously, for a lot of places, you know, there was significant uh, developments online that, that took place that where they've never done any of that, that sort of certainly transnational work before. Others more familiar, maybe so, probably just a little bit more of the same. But do you think in any way that online? Um, risks any traditional legal risks or not at all
2: i think yeah i'm i'm going to give you a caveated answer um, of course yeah, you are Rachel. yes yeah, of course I am. <laughs> what would i give you anything else um, yes to some extent to some extent it does and i it, i'll just kind of give you my sort of you know pocket view on why that is so I think internal legal risk so that's the institutional approach that's very much shaped by do they like online what do they think about online that kind of thing so that's that that that's what that is in terms of the relational legal risk the legal agreement um, in some ways the legal agreement for online and the legal agreement for the pure legal agreement not the kind of campus build or anything else that might go alongside it the pure legal agreement it doesn't the kind of areas where you'd look to cover so disputes exit like you said jurisdiction legal protections those areas don't don't change actually whether you're doing online or um not you know whatever version of not online you're doing um what what does change though is that actually your traditional kind of tne partnership. They're much longer online in my experience are kind of five or maybe five in a roll in terms of a term in terms of years whereas a sort of tne traditional collaboration might be could you know it could be as much as 25 years 30 years if you're having um you know if, if there's a build going alongside it so that means you can exit quicker and the exit options are often lighter in an online agreement, um, online collaboration agreement. So you, so your relational legal risks are a bit de-risked because you can exit earlier and you might be able to exit easier because you, you know, you don't have such a formalised structure. I think from an external risk perspective, the real challenge is cybersecurity. And um, that's what I see. So, you know, it's it's um, cyber attack, cybersecurity. It's interesting. We, there's been a lot in the press about this. And we did a, we did a webinar at Bevan Britain, actually at the very beginning of this month. And we had um, about cybersecurity and we did a straw poll on the universities there. And they were saying, the universities were saying 70% of the universities said they were very concerned about a cyber attack happening at the institution in the next 12 months. So this is, you know, this is, I don't know if I say it was red on the risk register, but it's definitely, it's definitely amber. Um, and, so the the thing with online is the more you open the door up to technological infrastructure the more chance you have of having a cyber attack you have there are obviously ways of mitigating that and you know but it, but that's that is the risk that to me that is the kind of big external risk so yes to some extent but with that with that kind of um recognizing the impact mm-hmm. You know, of a cyber attack on the institution itself, not and the students and the staff, not is not you know, it's not just a a small pocket of your TNE that will get impacted. It's most likely everything for a certain period of time. So that is the, I mean, there aren't there aren't a lot, but there are some, um, in the last twelve months. Yeah. So when we've seen those, so I think that's the that's the big challenge there.
1: Yeah, I think directors of information services or whatever they're called. In different yes. institutions, are certainly very very busy these days, aren't they? Yeah, um, trying to 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 keep keep us all protected, as you say. The more that you open up your environment, the more that there can be can be challenges there. Yeah, um, I suppose. You no, know, there there are there are things that people can do already, can't they? Well, you don't have to have to oh, any. Oh, lots of mitigating. Um, you know, yeah. Um, and I suppose there are things that you can do, uh, certainly I've had this over, you know, a few institutions where if we have got online delivery, you know, or we've, we've been doing things overseas, there might be some access that individuals do have, but there'll be some access to some systems that
2: absolutely yeah. they, they don't have. Completely. Yes. Yes. That's my experience um, of that too, It's pocket access. Yeah. It, yeah. And whether
1: one can ensure that one 100% can enforce that, I don't know. Um, But I I suppose you just, going back to what we said right at the beginning, really, in terms of what we're trying to do with our mitigations, you know, you just have to do what you can do, don't you, within it? And look at the likelihood of anything happening. Of course, that doesn't mean that something won't happen. likelihood could be tiny, but it still might happen. It's still there. Mm. Um, But it maybe comes back to that, that. Aspect of aspect of um, what the appetite is. Um, I do have a final question, but I didn't know, Chris, whether you had um, any other questions that you'd like to ask Rachel before mm. I lob this one
0: in. No questions. No, just a, a reflection. When when Rachel you were explaining about the the associated risk with with online versus face to face, and you started off saying before you got to the obviously the very genuine and real concern about cyber security and you were saying you know it's, it's usually a lot easier to exit and you know i just had that metaphor in my mind of, of, of <laughs> you know just saying oh I'm, I'm sorry i can't i can't hear you you're you're breaking up and you just hang up the zoom call and all right that's it we're done we're done with online <laughs> wonderful yeah i thought that was a, a very nice metaphor for a lot of our experiences of uh, over the covid um, online period so but no i didn't have any 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 other questions um i'm happy to for you to to love the final one and we'll we'll see where that one goes Thank you.
1: Great. Great. I mean, just thanks so much for today, uh, Rachel. I, I feel like this is one of the one of the most grown up conversations that Chris and I have tried to have, actually. Um, so we need to make you come on on a semi-regular basis. really. No, I mean, all joking aside, it's been really, really valuable. Um, I, I suppose one thing in, then finally, I'd really like to, to get your thoughts on. Is yeah, that having worked myself with a number of legal advisors over the years, um, sometimes based within the institution, but nearly always, like yourselves, based um, you might have an expertise in higher education, but but you know, based at e- externally in external businesses. What what would you say as an external advisor? You really need universities and people within universities to do to help any process go more smoothly.
2: Wow, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I there's a couple things we'll do it, but what would you
1: like Yeah, to no, do?
2: no, no promises. And okay, and and properties. I kind of some of these are a bit obvious actually, but I'll say them anyway. So I think if we think about the kind of go to market st- strategy and doing due diligence, do that due diligence early and do it do it broader than perhaps you would do it. So my experience of working with the private providers is that they do a lot more extensive due diligence than um, mainstream universities do. Um, And, um, uh, you know, not just looking at the delivery partner, really, really testing that, what does the environment look like, speaking to other operators, that kind of thing. So I think doing that in a broader way, not just on not just on a couple of pieces of paper. And, and, it, and it, you don't need lawyers to do this, actually. You, you just need local, <laughs> local contacts, that kind of thing. You need to have people on the ground that can go and do that. There is a legal aspect to it. You might use local lawyers there but um, to do some of it, but really understanding that, I think, is really key. And then I think, just going back to what we were saying earlier about well if the legal the legal agreement might not look like what you would like it to look like it might it might be shorter it might be local law governed that kind of thing i think probably we're talking you know kind of aspirationally here but perhaps internally looking at that internal legal risk and trying to have an understanding internally that um if the legal agreement is 10 pages long and doesn't look like it normally looks that that doesn't mean that it's completely risky that, do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't mean that. It, yes, it might come up the wrong colour on the risk register because it doesn't look like it normally should do, or normally is what everyone's comfortable with. So, so not kind of just just understanding that, I suppose, and also thinking, well, there are ways of mitigating. There are always ways of mitigating risk. It might not be in the legal agreement. It might be other ways. But there are. So perhaps thinking there are. You know, there there could be creative solutions around this. Um, so I think that's probably one. And then I think that that final one about thinking about the style of the legal agreement. Do you, what's the what's the delivery partner like? How long do you want to work with them? And sort of starting with that from let's think about the legal agreement. What kind of governance do we want? What kind of exit strategy? What kind of... Um, how how are we going to foster mutual goals and interests? Um, and And maybe building that from that basis into the legal agreement, as opposed to saying, well, we're going on really well, this is the legal agreement. And then that just destabilizes things um, by having that, as we said, slightly adversarial, or very adversarial sometimes agreement. So, letting the relationship lead the legal agreement, as opposed to the other way around, um, is something that I think would you know would be useful on occasion not always but is something that so just perhaps doing that slightly thinking maybe thinking about that just slightly differently
1: I think that's fantastic Rachel two 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 great quotes to take away from here I think in particular and lots really but two definitely for me you know when risk happens how do how do we deal with it together and that last one that you mentioned you know about letting the relationship lead the the legal agreement i think just having even just even having having that thought process i think at a university would would help us so but then be mindful of your first point that you made though there in answer to that question around around due diligence interesting what you were saying about you know the the private institutions and how they deal with it and how they're particularly robust in what they do and and they look at it and it's very broad um, and that probably, probably anecdotally, you might have thought the opposite. Yes. One might have thought the opposite. Yeah. And actually, clearly, completely not right. You know. So, so no. That's can't can't thank you enough, Rachel, for joining us today. I think it's been a really interesting um, experience for us to be looking at TNE with you through more of yeah. a, um, a a legal. A legal lens but but um interesting also with your your own obviously personal experiences but but all of those conversations though were around relations around culture around adaptation, and on around I suppose what I take away from this as well is around true partnership and true collaboration you know yes and yeah um, and that I think has been a very powerful message today so so Thank you very much, and we hope that you'll join us again at a certain point in the future.
2: Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Thank you very much.